Praise the Lord, everybody. <clears throat> I remember Daniel, before he was married, he was running around North Atlanta North by himself. Said, wow, I hope he gets married soon, you know. And he found a lovely, lovely person to marry. And remember his kids? Now, I, I have never heard your son play. He's like maestro over here now. Yeah. And I, your daughter's singing beautiful. Thank you. That was beautiful. All right. So wonderful. God is good, isn't he? Yes, and all the time. God is good. And I'm just going to throw a commercial in here. For those of you parents whose kids are not doing everything you want them to do in church, like mine, don't worry about it. God, God's got them. Amen? God's got them. You got to believe that. Otherwise, you just go through the day crying. Right? Amen? See, that's, that's real right there, right? And you don't want to do that because you give God the glory and the victory. God has your children. You could never love them more than what he loves them, how he loves them. You never could. Amen? And I try to remember that. My mother used to tell me that. She said, I love you. I said, I know, Mom. She said, but I, God, I can never love you as much as God. She said, so I'm going to put you in his hands. And when he needs to, he's going to spank you. Ah. Oh. <laughs> And he would do that. There's nothing like a spanking that a spanking that comes from God. Amen? I've had a couple of those. And I praise God for them. Amen? So we just have to keep our children lifted up and prayed up and ask God to build a hedge around them, protect them, keep them, because there's so many challenges that come toward them today in this world. Church looks beautiful. Wow. Last time we were here was a grand opening, right, sweetie? So church, I love it. It looks bright and inviting and clean and neat. It reminds me, remember, Vashti, we fly to Tokyo, Tokyo Airport, clean, bright, neat. I said, wow, that's the way the Japanese people live, right? Your church looks neat and clean and inviting, right? Uh, now you just need some big muffins out in the lobby. <laughs> Nelson and I talked about that, right? Uh, a church we visited in, in uh, Colorado and Denver, they have, when you go in, they have a very inviting area off to the side, and you can sit and read in magazines. They have hot cocoa and tea, and they have these huge muffins. Nelson said, now, you've said that three times. I don't have any muffins for you this morning, all right? But it was so inviting uh, to come in, and people would congregate and fellowship and laugh and talk, sip some tea, drink some uh, uh, postum or whatever, or eat their muffin, then they would come in and fellowship together. So, you know, that's wonderful, wonderful. So you're looking for a pastor out here. Pastor Rusty told me he was having to move on. Well, I pray that you will enter, if you haven't already, a serious time of fasting and prayer. You want God to match the right person to your congregation. It is God's call, not yours, not the conference. It is God's call. Amen? And so you want to have a serious time of fasting and prayer. You want to forsake, give up, sacrifice, whatever you need to, for a week, for two weeks, whatever you need to do, as you pray together, asking for God to choose your next under-shepherd for this church. Now, don't neglect that, or you're liable to get the wrong person. And getting the wrong pastor is like being in a bad marriage. 
Amen? That's my wisdom for you today. All right? For those of you who don't know me, I used to come and speak a lot and was working with Pastor Rusty, so I think I can say these things and you take it the right way. Amen? Okay. Of course, we mean it in love. I didn't know it was going to snow today. Wasn't expecting that, you know, but thank God for the snow. Amen? So I won't keep you too long so you can get on the road and get home. But it's not supposed to freeze up, so don't worry about it too much. But I know it's Atlanta. You're all not used to this now. Uh, so uh, we'll try to get you out of here soon. <clears throat> As I was thinking about the message today, and I've been reading Psalm 95 kind of over and over. And as I read Psalm 95, there are several thoughts that have stayed in my mind. Before we do that, I want to sing. You know what I want to sing. You know who's going to help me, right, on the piano, right? And I don't know if you have it in the hymnal. If you have hymnals, what pages? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 290. 290. Just the chorus. And I just want us to sing the chorus meditatively as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. All that has happened, the children's story, the offering, the special music, has been preparing us for the word of God. Amen. And I'd like for you to join in with me and sing this chorus as we turn our eyes on Jesus. You know how to say And as we look full in his face. And when you turn your eyes upon Jesus, something will happen. Something will happen. Amen. So join in with me. All of you, those who can sing better than me, sing loudly. Let's sing this together. All together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full. Full in his wonderful face. And what will happen? And the thing will grow strong. Once more, once more softly, all together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what will happen? And the softly listen to this passage of scripture in the year that King Uzziah died you can continue to play I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne 
high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean, unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord Jesus. We're asking to be in the presence of God. We're asking for God to worship with us. We're asking for a holy being and deity to stop for a moment and allow the angels to sit next to us and Jesus to walk the aisles. We're asking for God. To be in our midst. When Isaiah had that, that vision, he said, I am unclean. I am not worthy to be in the presence of God. I am not worthy to look upon his face. I, I am not worthy to even bow before him. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, I am not worthy to even tie his shoes. That's the respect and the awe and the wonderment that comes from being in the presence of God. Are we losing that? Are we losing that sense of wonder when we come into worship, when we ask for heaven to stop just for a moment? Just for a moment. To remove us from the, from the everyday things that we experience, from the politics of the day, from the stock markets of the day, from the hassles of work and trials that we face, from all that we hear and all that we see and that we worry about. When we come into the presence of God, something should happen. Something should be different. We should never leave from the presence of God exactly the same way that we came in his presence. Moses was before God and we came down from the mountain and he showed himself to the people. The people said to Moses, yo, yo, Moses, my brother, cover your face. For the glory of God is shining through you. And, and we can't take it. Does the glory of God shine through you when you leave this place? When you've meditated in the word of God and prayed before you've started each day, does the glory of God come through you at work and, and people know there's something about you? There's, there's this glow about you. There's this anointing about you. There, there's this specialness about you. Not because you're the boss or because you make the most money or you look so cute or you drive the best car, but there's something about you because God's anointing is on you. And they're drawn to you. To pour out their hearts or say, please pray for me. 
Father God, have your will and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I have missed your plane. Hope your husband don't mind me saying that. I didn't say I miss her. I said I miss her plane. He gets to hear that all the time. Somehow that's not fair. But anyway, worship. Psalm 95. title of my message is Worship, Wonder, Warning, and Wrath. Worship, Wonder, Warning, and Wrath. As I read and as I've read Psalm 95, the psalmist is writing this, and it appears to be at a worship service. And the people are gathered together to worship. Hey, they've come to church. They've come to praise God together. They've come to sing the songs of Zion together, right? They've come for a shared heritage in, in God and to live their religious faith out together like believers. And they, they are congregated together and they are sitting there and, and the psalmist reads the word and the psalmist shares. And as you look at verse 1 in Psalm 95, the psalmist starts off sharing and he simply says, oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us lift our voices in joyous song to Jesus, to God, who is our strength, our rock, the one who won't move, our anchor, the one who's steadfast. You see, there's so much shifting sand today. There's shifting ideologies. There are shifting beliefs. There are so many things that sort of throw you off kilter and course. And so the psalmist says, as we come to worship, let's not think about philosophy and our academics and education and, and our wealth and our position in the community. Let us come together and focus on God. For God does not move. He does not shift with the politics of the day. He does not shift with the culture. He's not up and down and wavering. God says, what I have said, what has been uh, issued from my lips, I will not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So the psalmist says, come, let's worship God. Come, let's focus on someone who does not waver. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little shaky, right? And I waver a little bit, and maybe I don't have the faith I need to make that decision or make this decision over here, and I'm not always a rock maybe for the family or not always the strongest one, but you know, I have always found God to be true. I've always found God to be steady. 
I have always found God to be correct. Now that's good and bad. Because I think there are times, and as we go through this passage, there are times when we think we can negotiate and barter with God and change his mind on some things. And so we do that, and the word of God says that when we do that, we are grieving the spirit of God. He says he gets frustrated with us because he has not given us the right to try to change his mind and barter with what he has set in stone. This is the way, walk ye in it. I lay before you blessings and curses. Choose blessings or choose curses. This is a Sabbath. There is not another day. Thou shalt not. I'm not changing that. The first four, deal with your relationship to me. The last six, deal with how you treat each other. I'm not changing that. What has gone from my lips, it does not change. Come, let's worship the God who does not change. He doesn't change. That's who he is. He is the rock of our salvation. He says, let us come before his presence, verse 2, with thanksgiving. And make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He's not like those wooden kings that were made by hand. He's not like your science. He's not like your astrology. He's not like something that you have conjured up and made. He's not like some spirit and voodoo and all of that. He is God. He's El Shaddai. He's Elohim. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the one who stood out on nothing and there was nothing there. Matter did not exist until God called matter into being. The earth did not exist until God called it into being. And we forget that sometimes, that God is the one who created us. Blew breath into our bodies, called our hearts To beat. And every time you hear the psalmist throughout the Psalms talking about God and how great God is, they always move to God is our creator. He's God because he made us. He's God because he owns us. He's God because he's God. Somebody said he's God all by himself. He doesn't need anybody to help him be God. Is our God too small? Have we knocked God down to the size that we are? Have we placed God on the same equal plane as sinful man? All of us have been born in sin, shaping in iniquity. There's none righteous, no, not one. Jeremiah says we have wicked hearts from the top of our heads to the tip of our toes. We're all sick. We're all in need of salvation. We're all unrighteous. Have we placed a righteous, holy God on our level? That's kind of sacrilegious. That's heresy. God is not on my level. And you know what? I don't need a God that's on my level. Because there are times when I can't even help myself. 
Now, I know you're all doing well. Nobody has any problems here. And everybody's like zooming along in their righteous beliefs and their faith. Me, I struggle sometimes. I stump my foot sometimes. There are times when I say stuff in traffic I shouldn't say. Oh, God help me. You know, there are times. I need somebody who can help me out of being who I am. Because who I am is not who God is, and I'm not on the same level with God. I can never be righteous enough to go to heaven. I can never be righteous enough to be saved on my own merit. It has to be the covering and blessing of God through Jesus Christ. And without Christ, without God, without the Holy Spirit, I'm not going anywhere. Not going to go anywhere. Not going to make it. That's why Joshua said simply, choose ye this day. Hey, got to make a choice. And so the psalmist is saying, oh, come, let's worship God. Bow down before him, for the Lord is great, is a great God and a great king above all gods. Verse 4, in his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. You can see this is building to a crescendo, and he's saying, worship God, the great God, the creator God, the seas, the mountains, everything, and it's going up. And in verse 6, it's almost as if he says, oh, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Right, just Praise him. Come before him and bow down before him. Have humility and awe before God. Do you know that God? Do you know the God that the psalmist is speaking of who causes you when you meditate on who God is, when you read his word, when you finger through the desire of ages and great controversy and you see God's footprints and presence, does it cause you to say holy and you bow down before him and the tears can't stop flowing because you know where you were and where God has brought you to and God has changed you and is changing you and it's overwhelming to you and your angel is beside you and the Holy Spirit is all over you and the anointing is on you and you bow down and you weep before God thanking him. That's where the psalmist is right now. Hey? Or has God become to every day and nothing more than polysyllabic rhetoric, big words and spewing out vain theologies. How do we speak to God? How do we handle God? How do we come before God? Do we ever tremble at the thought of what God went through on the cross? For the word of God says that God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself. When the darkness came down, God saw that darkness, was a part of that darkness. God was in that darkness. God felt that he experienced that for me and for you. Verse 7. It gets really intimate in verse 7. He makes it very personal in verse 7. 
He says, for he is our God. Who are we worshiping today? Who are we praising today? Whose presence are we in today? Who have we come to return our tithe and offering to today? Who are we honoring by remembering the Sabbath and having this building open to acknowledge the Sabbath? Who are we worshiping today? And the psalmist simply says, for he is our God. It's a shared experience. He's our corporate God. Together, we share him. Together, he belongs to us. He's getting very intimate here. It's a, it's a supportive and caring relationship. But do you know that God? Is God personal to you? You know, when you're married, you know it's real. When your wife's picking up your underwear off the, uh, the, the ground and putting it in the washing machine and holding it like that, you know. Or when you see one other in the bathroom brushing their teeth and toothpaste coming down here, you know, not that cute stuff no more. It's just real. Right? I can go on and on with that marriage stuff, but it gets real. It's personal. That's the relationship I want with God. Well, whether I'm at my worst or my best, I know he still loves me. He won't walk out on me. Amen? And he's so high and lifted up and transcendent being that he is. And, and, and he feels the cosmos. And God is both light and darkness. God is both mercy and justice. God is both all of man and all of, 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 of the divinity in Jesus. God is the Holy Spirit and he's everywhere and he feels everything. God is omniscient and he knows everything. God is all present and all powerful, yet he is simple enough and quiet enough and comfortable enough that a child will run and sit on his knee. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 7, he says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. We graze in his pasture. Every day when I'm heading to work to the hospital, I pass these pastures on the left and the right, and there are cows out there grazing and eating, and they're so comfortable, all they're doing is eating. I said, boy, is that all y'all do is eat? That's all they do is eat. Right? Eat, they sit down, they get up and eat some more. But they're grazing. They're not worried about anything. For the shepherd, the farmer comes and he puts their bales of hay out there and he looks after them and he takes care of them, right? And then I look off into the distance and I see Pikes Peak and I see these Colorado mountains and snow-capped mountains and I sense the presence and awe of God. The awe of God. Right? says, and we are the sheep of his hand. Hey, I, I know times when God has had to come and rescue me and carry me out because I couldn't come out well. I, I want to suggest to you, like I suggested to Phil, that until we have an encounter with God, 
that is so intimate and so special and so deep where all the covers are pulled back and we realize that God sees us in our nakedness, in our sinfulness, in whoever we are and God still loves us and he can cleanse us and he can forgive us until we have that powerful encounter with God where it breaks us down like David was broken down and it finally humbled him where Peter was broken down and it finally humbled him to the point he said, please crucify me upside down. I don't deserve to be crucified upright like Jesus until you have that encounter like Paul when he was galloping to go and persecute more Christians and he met Jesus and Jesus knocked him off that horse until you have that encounter with God where you struggle like Jacob did and you hold on for dear life and you say, I won't let you go until you bless me until you have that like Paul had, like Moses had, like Daniel had, you will not know this God. You won't know him. You'll know about him, but you won't know him personally. Because when you know him personally, you will say like Joseph, how can I do this great evil and sin against my God? Isn't that what David said? He said, against you, you I have sinned. Against you, I have done this evil. Against you, I have broken our relationship. Against you, I am guilty. Against you. David understood through worshiping God and knowing he was creator God and that he loved David, David finally figured it out that when we do or don't do, it's our relationship with God. We are either doing it for God or against God. It's all about God. And what we do for him or against him. And so the psalmist sort of changes the tenor here. He sort of changes the mood in verse 7. And he comes down after saying, let everyone praise God. He sort of comes down and he says, oh my goodness, for he is our God. I'm the sheep of his pasture. Although I His rod and his staff will keep me. He will protect me and provide for me even in the midst of my enemies. So I have no need to worry. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Oh, you can hear David. I'm just going to dwell in the presence of God forever. What more joy could it be than to dwell in the house of God? What more joy could it be than to come to worship and experience the presence of God with like believers? What more joy could it be to to hear that God cares for you and he forgives you and he loves you and no matter what, he's trying.
crying and pulling for you, right? What more joy can you have? I submit to you that until you have that encounter with God, until your children have that encounter with God, until your spouse has that encounter with God, until your friends have that encounter, they will know about God, but they will not know God. And when you know God, it changes you. It changes the way you express your love for him. It changes you when you see people hurting and people lost and people not knowing Christ. It changes you when you see those who are mighty and strong and being being unjust to those who are weak. It changes you when you hear someone who talks against God and they don't know what they're saying and you're praying for them. God, spare them. Forgive them, Lord. Don't, Don't realize they don't know what they're saying. When you have that encounter with God, then your worship experience changes. It changes. And there's something that Alpharetta has learned a long time ago. When you have that encounter with God, you don't care if it's black or white, Latino or Asian. Just let's just come worship the Lord. You can't sit segregated anymore because you know it's not God's will and purpose. Right? And you invite everyone into the fellowship of God, no matter what their struggles are. Your arms are open wide. You say to them, I can't change the word of God for you, but I can love you until you can understand and grasp what God is saying to you. I can love you and walk with you and not turn back from you. And you can experience the power of God and I will be here right along with you. I don't know. I think we struggle with that part of it. There are certain people we just will not accept into our fellowship unless they're just like us. I think until we have that encounter with God, we will know about God, but we won't know God. He says simply, I'm the father of every nation. There is now neither Jew nor Greek, rich nor poor slave nor free the dividing wall has been broken down let whosoever will come right so verse 7 you can see is where I got stuck when I was reading this I got stuck right there I just stayed there and just let God love on me for a minute right Verse 7 is getting ready to shift. It's getting ready to change the mood. Who is the psalmist talking to? He's speaking to those who have come to worship. He's speaking to those who know God. He's speaking to the household of faith. You get that? That's who's in the audience. You got it? He's speaking to church members. That's who's in the audience. Got that? He's not speaking to the prostitute or the drug addict. 
Not right now. He's not speaking to <clears throat> the rebellious person who's agnostic or atheist and says, there is no God. He's not doing an evangelistic meeting now for people trying to convince them of the Sabbath. He's speaking to the household of faith. He's speaking to believers. This is a very important point. I got stuck right there. And I said, what? You're speaking to the church. You're speaking to folk who are members. You're speaking to folk who come to worship every Sabbath. Jews, Sabbath, right? You're speaking to people who have come to worship you and praise your name. They've come from all these places. They're sitting there. And now you're going to say this to church people? I don't get it. Listen to what he says today. If you church people hear the voice of God, harden not your heart. Wait a minute. How can you say that to church folk? Church folk are sitting here because they've surrendered their heart to God. Church folk are sitting here because they heard God's calling and they came. Maybe that's assuming too much. There are various reasons people come to church. And the psalmist says here to church folk, he's saying, all of y'all who came to worship today, we need to praise God. We need to lift him up. He is God. He's created this. He's created that. Come and bow down before him and worship him. Now, I need you to hear me very clearly, the psalmist says. Today, after we have worshiped, today, after we know who we've come to see, today, that we know that God is creator, today, we know that he is the shepherd of us. He has led us. He has protected us. He has provided for us. Today, if you hear that God's voice... Harden not your heart, church people. Harden not your heart, Christians. Harden not your heart, followers of God. Don't be like your ancestors who provoked God, who tested God, who tried his patience. Don't be like them. Today, if you're hearing God, if he's moving on your heart, if you're having an encounter with him, if he's calling you to do something different, live differently, speak differently, act differently, he's trying to have an encounter with you that will change your life forever. And whether you live or die today, you are ready to meet your maker. That's what he's trying to get to you. I am your salvation. Grab hold right now. Change your focus. Change your mind. Church people, stop playing church. Been there, done that. Decided I couldn't do it anymore. It was either going to be God or the world, but it couldn't be both. I can't live like that. That's schizophrenic. That makes you neurotic crazy. Trying to live in and out of the world, in the world, out of the world, in the world, in church. Can't do that. So he's saying to church people right here, today if you hear, notice if, if, there it is. I hate if. Right, everything's going along well. Oh, yeah, we have having church. And all of a sudden, if. 
Because the psalmist is not assuming that the worshipers actually hear the word of God. He's not assuming that they are converted. He's not assuming that they are saved. He's not assuming that they have encountered the God that he's talking about. So he says, if you hear God's voice, harden not your heart. Don't be like your ancestors who begged me for meat. That's, that's the chicken, the pheasant they were asking for, right? They got mad with God. God was feeding them, clothing them, taking care of them, providing everything they need, right? They went and knocked on Moses' door and said, look, this vegan stuff, uh-uh. We came up out of Egypt, right? This vegetarian, vegan angel food, uh-uh. Had it for two days now. I want some bird up in here, right? And I want white meat. I want dark meat. I want some turkey. I want something I can sink my teeth into. That's what they told Moses. They got mad. They started murmuring, right? Don't mess with people in their food, right? They lost it and said, we want what we want and tell God we want it. Now, they've seen God. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I got to stop. Wait, wait a minute. These people are fussing at Moses, telling them to tell God what they want. Now, they've seen God drop down 10 plagues on Egypt. They've seen his power, right? They've seen the firstborn of all of those who didn't know God, didn't put the lamb's blood over the door. They've seen those children die and heard the wailing and gnashing of teeth. They've seen that. They've seen him take them in the desert where it's hot, arid, dry. You guys are from Syria. Man, it's a mess out in the desert, right? You don't have any water. You out there, you're going to die, right? You're going to die. God has led them out there. He's given them a cloud over their head to protect them from the sun. He's given them the, the, the fire to keep the Pharaoh away. They've seen God open up a whole ocean so they could go through on dry land. They've seen this. It's not like someone told them about this. They have seen it with their own eyes. They've seen God let the water come back and all of Pharaoh's army is destroyed. They've seen him put shoes on their feet and we're told they never wore out for 40 years. Their clothes never wore out. They've seen the power of God. They've experienced the power of God. And they have the unmitigated gall, the stupidity and ignorance to go to Moses and say, we command God to give us what we want. How many times have I done that? How many times has God laid it out so plainly? This is the way, walk ye in it. Lord, I think I want to go a different way if you don't mind. He said, don't be like those folk. You've seen too much. You've experienced God's power. You 
you know folk who've been healed miraculously? You've seen people brought back from Satan's grasp. You have seen what God has done in your life. Don't be like your ancestors. If you hear the voice of God, the one that we worship, the one that's creator, the one who provides for us, then ask yourself, is he worthy of your praise? Is he worthy of your love? Is he worthy of your obedience? I got to close out here and I, gosh, worship God. And then the wonder, the wonderment of all of this, Donnie, I just sat back and I looked at this and I said, man, wonderment means awe and respect. And I'm, I'm like bugging out, man. I'm like, God is so wonderful. He's so powerful. I'm in awe of him. I'm just in wonderment of this God and how he protects us and, and he fed his people and clothed them. And then I drop down a little bit and I see how these folk, their ancestors, went against God and frustrated God and didn't believe. And I'm in wonderment at both. I'm in awe of God and I'm in wonder and awe. How in the world could they turn their back on God? Right? How could they do that? You know what the Spirit says? The Spirit says, don't look at them. Look at yourself. How many times have you turned your back on me when you knew what I was telling you to do and asking you to do? That's the, that's the Holy Spirit. You start looking at somebody else and thinking about somebody else, and God says, put the mirror up, put the mirror up. Right? Today, if you hear God's voice, don't look to the left, don't look to the right, don't look behind you, hold the mirror up, look at that person in the mirror. Today, if you hear the voice of God speaking to you, what is he saying? That's the worship and the wonder. Here comes the warning and the wrath. Barbara, I sometimes, I don't like sharing the wrath, man. We struggle with God being a wrathful God, right? Angry God. We like the Santa Claus God. Right? We like the fat, happy, jolly God who will give us whatever we want, who requires nothing of us, and we can come and go on him as much as we like. Right? Verse 10. God talks to us like he's like in this serious relationship with us, right? He says, for 40, you could hear him, right? For 40 long years. I put up with you. For 40 years, I fed you and clothed you and protected you. What more could I have done? What more could I have done? What more could I have done for you? You have grieved me. You have saddened my heart. You have provoked me. You have questioned me. And I have given you 
every reason to trust me. I have laid it out for you. And you still reject me. You still question me. You're still blasé about me. For 40 years I put up with you. My spirit struggled with you. He says, for you are people that err not only in your thought, but you err deep in your heart. All of who you are deep within yourself is not united with me. And deep in your spirit, you don't know me. And you have shown me that by your questioning me and testing me and tempting me you and I've watched over you. Sometimes I stop and I think to myself, dear sister, how many times has my angel pulled me back from destruction and disaster? How many times has God covered me so Satan couldn't take his toll on me? How many times when I get to heaven will I sit with my angel and my angel will start to share with me all of the times uh, that God protected me and watched over me and pulled me back from disaster when I was acting foolish and crazy and my parents were praying for me and I didn't want to listen and God didn't leave me. He didn't abandon me. He stayed right there even in my indifference even in my disobedience, and he would not stop loving me. Oh, my goodness. goodness. He says, you have not known my ways. Here's the wrath. So therefore, you don't believe in me? You don't trust me? then I swear this day that you shall not go into Canaan. Not one of you. And the scriptures tell us that not one from that generation received the blessing and promise of Canaan. All of them died off except for two. Caleb and Joshua, who believed. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8, simply tells us that there are those who are going to be in the kingdom, and then there are those who are going to be outside of God's kingdom. And he lists that for us in verse 8. And one of those groups that's going to be outside of the kingdom and lost, the same ones he's talking about here, the unbelieving. The unbelieving. God is asking us to be faithful. He's asking us to trust him. He's asking us to let go of 
who we are and allow him to remake us into his image. Today, dear friends, if you hear God speaking to you in reference to some aspect of your life and work and relationship with him, harden not your hearts. I like what this person wrote. Have you ever had God speak to your heart about an issue? Maybe multiple times? Yet you keep thinking you'll deal with it or make it right sometime later. If so, did you know every time you ignore God's urging, your heart may be hardening towards the Lord? And by delaying to submit to his will totally and completely, you are risking being able to obey him in the future concerning the matter. It's easy to think you'll take care of it when it works better in your schedule or you're ready to turn away from the situation, but Scripture says you may not have that opportunity. As well, do you know that God views your delay in submitting as you're testing him because you aren't yielding to his leading? Throughout the Bible, God urges to not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Scripture describes how the Israelites, through their disobedience in the wilderness, tested and tried God for 40 years. It explains how the errors in their hearts caused them to go astray and become hardened towards his will. Doing so caused them missing out on enjoying the good things God had prepared and planned for them. Worship him. Be in wonderment and awe of who God is. Heed the warnings. Because there is wrath. God has said it, and he's not changing his mind. One day soon, Michael is going to stand and say, let the righteous be righteous still. Let the unholy be unholy still. It is done. It is finished. I'm coming back. And John says, what? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen? Father God, I pray that we each will have that special, significant encounter with you. That it will be so deep-seated in our heart and our mind that we will change and transform and become who you have called us to be. Lord, help us to be lifted to greater heights and thoughts of, your, of who you are. Lord, help us to live above where we are now and to walk in the heavenly spiritual things that Paul encouraged us to do. Change our mind, change our thinking, change our behavior. And Lord, give us that, that anointing so that when, when people encounter us, they sense and experience you through us. Lord God, help us to be ever mindful of your warnings that we stay close to the foot of the cross.
every sin at the foot of the cross where we we receive forgiveness. For any person under the sound of my voice who has not yet had that encounter, I pray that it happens in your life today. In Jesus' name I pray.